From Michigan Radio, this is It's Just Politics. I'm Zoe Clark. We have now gone through the inaugural, the swearing-in of new and returning lawmakers, and the State of the State address. So now Lansing is doing what it does, holding House and Senate sessions, committee hearings, and this week, the first bill signing of the legislative session. We're taking a step forward to grow our economy, invest in our communities, and build a bright future here. It's a familiar cycle for those who know Lansing, and that includes John Selleck. He is CEO of Harbor Strategic Public Affairs. He has been around Lansing for a million years. Hi, John. (laughs) Hi, and happy birthday to my son, Avery, turns 15 today. Aw, Avery, happy birthday. And Adrian Heeman, he is CEO of Grassroots Midwest. He has been around Lansing for a million and one years. Hey, Adrian. Hi, thanks for having me, and happy birthday to Avery, most recently seen beating me in mini golf. (laughs) (laughs) And Rick Pluta, co-host of It's Just Politics and senior capital correspondent for the Michigan Public Radio Network. Hey, y'all, it really feels like things are cooking in Lansing this week. Um, Rick, the governor signed the first bill of the session. Folks were quick to note that this is the earliest a first bill has been signed by a governor in the state since 1947. Yeah, well, this is a budget bill. And when you have $1.1 billion to uh, work with and give people stuff that they like, maybe, you know, that helps accelerate the process. Out of this surplus of $9 billion mm-hmm. Democrats are working with. And, and we should point out that this was a bill that was hanging out since the last session. So in many respects, a lot of the work on it had already been, a lot of the negotiating on it had already been done. Adrian, you have worked in democratic politics. You have worked for democratic lawmakers. From your view, how are things operating? You know, I've been fairly impressed with the start that these democratic legislators have gotten off to considering how long Democrats have been out of power in the state legislature. There's not a ton of institutional knowledge at a staff level about how to run a majority caucus. There's none um, with the elected officials. None of them were there the last time Democrats were in the majority. So they've done pretty well. They're they're passing legislation. Obviously, that budget supplemental was top of the list, but they're they're moving other stuff through committees and, and making progress quite a bit of progress on a lot of the stuff that was in the governor's state of the state speech. Whether you like the policy or not, they are moving pretty quickly. John, we had uh, Senate Majority Leader, Democrat Winnie Brinks on. She said, look, you know, Democrats were a little rusty from not being in control. From your perspective, I, I don't know that the brevity at which some of these bills are moving is, is it rusty? Well, look, there's a couple of things going on. You know, the big moments keep coming for Governor Whitmer. Heck, the They put out the other night that her state of the state address got more viewers than Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy, which in Michigan is saying something. I think what the governor is doing is helping herself, but also helping the House and Senate. As Adrian said, they get their their wheels turning. They needed a ready-made agenda to start get going on while they try to figure out how to hire all the right staff, how to get their committees lined up, how to handle the more controversial legislation that's yet to come. And so she indeed provided that agenda. She's showing right now that she wanted to knock out her main priorities before all the other pressures put on the legislature kind of get in the way and make things messy. Now, in the past, we would have said a legislature passing a billion-dollar budget bill without a committee hearing seemed to like lack a little bit of transparency. But the Dems also are doing a great job on messaging. They're out-messaging the GOP right now. You just repeated one of their lines. They passed the bill faster than anyone else has in 75 years. 
Um, it's not, why didn't they have a committee hearing on a billion bucks? And, you know, Republicans complained that the process uh, lacked transparency, and that was reflected in some of the votes that uh, they saw. But, you know, the Democrats made sure that some of this money did go to Republican areas. We should say some of this money. But it, it was enough to give this the uh, patina of bipartisanship. Adrian, I'm, I'm so curious from your perspective for years of Republicans running the show in Lansing, being the majority and Democrats saying things are moving too quickly uh, behind the scenes or haven't been committee hearings uh, to now hear Republicans saying the same thing. Yeah, I mean, that's um, that's what you do when you're out of power, right, is you try and create compelling spectacles and draw attention to the things the other side is doing that you think might offend the voters. The shoe's on the other foot now. And so it, it's Republicans turn to do that after after Democrats doing it for the last 12 years in the House and the last 40 in the Senate. When when has the message that the legislature is acting too quickly ever resonated with voters? I think it tends to resonate more with the media and the reporters that are covering them and then the opponent, the minority side. Like for a long time, like you said, it's been the Democrats. So the shoe is on the other foot. I think it is reasonable to want to make sure that the bills aren't being processed so fast because they're being created by chat GPT uh, instead of a legislative process. But on the <laughs> other hand, the headlines they're getting out of the spending that they're doing, like the paper mill funding and saving jobs and cutting taxes, that's all good stuff for the Democrats. It's super good stuff for Governor Whitmer as the world watches her and tries to see if she can run this this Democratic controlled policy laboratory and see if she's presidential material. Adrian? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the essential point of Rick's question is right. Um, process arguments don't resonate with the public in general because the public is generally not watching the process. Um, you think about most of these lawmakers were elected in partisan primaries and not in competitive general elections. And think about the percentage of people that actually turn out in those partisan primaries. And, and turning out to vote is the bare minimum. It's your gentleman's D minus. They're not watching the committee process. <laughs> and so arguments about process don't really resonate with them. It's not part of their lives. Totally agree with that. And I would just add that, unfortunately, most people don't think much of politicians, whether it's in D.C. or in Michigan. And so they wouldn't they would shrug their shoulders anyway. We're saying let's not focus on process, but I, I want to talk about this sort of tax cut fever that is happening right now in Lansing. And if you are hearing news stories about this tax cut happening and then this tax cut, uh, you are hearing them because a lot is going on, at least three different issues right now. The earned income tax credit, a repeal on taxes for pensioners. And then on top of this, the possibility of a tax cut rollback being triggered because of revenue right now in the state. John, help me put into context how to pay attention to all of this and understanding what this means without getting so stuck into the process. <laughs> well, stereotypically, we thought the, the GOP, the conservatives were the ones constantly wanted to cut taxes and cut to the bone of government and Democrats wanted to fund and invest not spend. But this all goes back to last year where everybody believed, and I think it was accurate, that inflation was a real problem for people. And the Democrats were trying to figure out how to avoid getting squashed by it. And at the same time, they're saying, okay, I'll fight inflation, not by mentioning it per se, but I'll say, we're going to vote for tax cuts and we're going to stop the crazy spending going on in Washington and Lansing. 
So Hillary Scolton, now the U.S. representative from West Michigan, she actually put right on the words, running as a Democrat, the Democrats need to stop the spending. So how do you take $9 billion and spend it without looking like you were spending it? You turn it into tax cuts on the one hand, put that money back into people's pockets. We're talking about seniors and working families right now. There's also an income tax cut on the table. And then the other way you spend it is you send it to school. And that is for these people's children. And so suddenly you're able to attack the effects of inflation, look like you're cutting taxes and spend a lot of money and not trigger the negativity that a lot of voters were feeling last year. And the conflict that is sort of slowly approaching is the one over the automatic trigger of the income tax. And Republicans are preemptively warning, don't you dare, don't you you know, start some kind of spending spree that's going to halt an automatic reduction in the income tax rate. And Democrats, including Governor Whitmer, are saying we have proposed no such thing. This argument is premature, but certainly we do seem to see the pieces aligning in that direction. And where it's going to wind up, because it always winds up there, is Democrats calling for some sort of targeted tax relief aimed at lower income people. And and that doesn't mean low income people. That means middle income and lower income people on, on you know that end of the scale where Republicans are going to argue for a percentage based across the board tax cut that does put more dollars towards higher income earners. Look, the the short answer is you're going to end up with a mix because that's what's going to be popular. You know, John pointed out, you know, some of the spending proposals that are on the table. Um, tax cuts are spending proposals, too. Right. And there's going to be a mix of tax cuts and investments in new programs that's going to come out of this process. Um, you know, and I think that that's probably appropriate. The state's loaded right now. We've not seen a budget surplus like this in certainly in in my memory. Um, and as was pointed out at the uh, the top of the program, I've been doing this for about a thousand years. Um, I don't remember us having a surplus this big to spend. So I think that that's appropriate, right? Um, so I think that you the the income tax trigger is an interesting thing. I'm I'm skeptical they're going to screw around with that, especially because it's temporary, right? Um, it only goes into effect if state revenues are at a certain level, and if they fall back below that, the rate goes back up. I actually think the more likely fight around that is, you know, a year or two from now when revenues are not at that same level and the automatic increase goes back into effect, um, that there'll be a big fight about whether to let that happen. Because elected officials are, are really, really interested in what's going to happen two years from now or four years from now when they can enact uh, some kind of benefit today. That's Rick Pluta, senior capital correspondent for the Michigan Public Radio Network. We are also joined by John Selleck, CEO of Harbor Strategic Public Affairs, and Adrian Heeman, CEO of Grassroots Midwest. Um, Rick, we saw this week the first hearing on an LGBTQ civil rights bill. This would be an expansion of Michigan's Elliott Larson Civil Rights Act to include protections for sexual orientation and gender identity. It would be a vast expansion and one an issue that goes back to 
almost when the bill was enacted in the uh, you know in the 1970s. And it looks like with Democratic majorities in the House and the Senate going to a governor who has asked the legislature to do it, that we we could be on the cusp of that actually happening. Adrian, what's taken it so long? Well, you know, there's been a lot of debate, um, you know, over several legislative sessions about exactly how you do this and what sort of uh, conscience exemptions, for lack of a better term, religious exemptions you include in legislation like that. Um, You know, many moons ago when uh, Randy Richardville was the Senate majority leader, there was an attempt to pass an Elliott Larson expansion that sort of foundered on what sort of religious exemptions were going to be included in it. So I do think that you are likely to see this legislation pass in whatever sort of form, and you're likely to see quite a few Republican votes for it. Let's quickly turn in the last few minutes that we have. Michigan could get more clout in choosing presidential candidates. Um, On top of the budget bill that we talked earlier about, Governor Whitmer signed a bill this week that would move Michigan's 2024 presidential primary up to February 27th. Depending on how the Democratic National Committee votes this weekend, it could mean that Michigan could be fifth in line for deciding candidates for president. Republicans, however, are not happy. Um, And because of how and when bills actually take effect in Michigan, it could all be for naught. John, fill us in on on this bill that Democrats moved quickly. It's good for Democrats um, because they get a lot more attention. Uh, President Biden will get a lot more attention. It's a state where President Biden is counting on the governor to just get him a quick win, kind of quell any possibility of someone challenging the president. Uh, And the flip side, anybody that owns uh, a radio station, a TV station, Adrian and I are talking about starting our own television station just so we can run ads. Uh, It means there's going to be a huge burst of economic activity from hotels to rental cars to everything else. While Michigan is at that front end of the presidential primary, and we, and this has been going on, as you know, Rick knows, all the way back at least to my first boss in politics, John Engler, they were arguing about moving up Michigan's primary day. And why shouldn't we be? We're the 10th biggest state. We're a purple state. We're a great miniature version of the country as far as demographics go. There's a lot going for us. Um, the one thing the Democrats don't have, though, is a big enough majority to guarantee immediate effect. And we talk about process. The short story is that means the way the law is right now, it wouldn't go into effect in time to actually change the date of the election. So, Rick, are we going to see some political machinations, some negotiations either to to get immediate effect or to possibly, as, as some folks are talking about in Lansing, actually ending session early so that this bill does go in effect? That is you know, one of the options that's being discussed. It, it's possible that they could just let it sit around and play chicken and then, you know, maybe adopt a new law mm-hmm. that would get immediate uh, immediate effect. The problem here is for Republicans that if this does become a law and it does take effect right away, then they could be sanctioned delegates to their presidential convention. And, you know, I mean, that's that's a big deal when they go back to their, you know, to their counties and their uh, congressional districts that people are going to say, I was counting on being a delegate and the Republican National Committee is now going to sanction us delegates because of what Democrats pushed through in the legislature and you helped them with. 
as far as the GOP, there's a darker um, for the GOP option out here, which is um, the thing that you've heard folks like Matt DiPerno and others talking about, which is just selecting their presidential nominee on the same schedule so that they don't get sanctioned delegates and doing it at a partisan convention, uh, which will only lead to wackier outcomes for the GOP. So that's the thing that I'm really watching right now is, you know, do Republicans, um, because there is certainly some grassroots movement for this, um, just decide to throw up their hands and we're going to run our own process separate from this primary um, to select our delegates. We'll do it on the schedule that the RNC tells us that we have to um, and end up with something really wacky coming out of that convention. I mean, we already saw the types of the types of folks who get nominated at that convention um, in last year's election um, with the selections of Matt DiPerno and Christina Caramo um, as statewide nominees for the GOP. And um, they performed quite poorly. Mm-hmm. A process that would be a lot like what Michigan Republicans did in 1987. And uh, just if anyone out there has one of my uh, most coveted political souvenirs, there's a button that says, I survived the Michigan Republican delegate selection process. Really snappy. Uh, Get in touch because I want one. John, I want your final perspective on all of this, having worked in uh, Republican presidential politics. First, what Adrian said, a lot of the, the inclination of a lot of hardcore Republicans and consultants involved is to have a caucus or a convention and in simple talk that just means they have their own private party that the whole public doesn't get to be involved in. It's a lot easier to control it, influence it, all that good stuff. But the Republicans have a 100% legitimate complaint in all of this, that the Democrats 100% know that if they go through with this plan, that they are going to be disenfranchising the voice of a whole bunch of Republicans, which is about 50% of the state these days, or at least an even amount uh, to Democrats, because their votes aren't going to count at an RNC convention should they have to do a primary election that doesn't match with the RNC schedule. And they just, so far, they don't care. But I think it is a game of chicken. It's an ongoing negotiation. And the story is not finished being told. The story is not finished being told, but we will be here to tell it once it is. That is John Selleck. He is CEO of Harbor Strategic Public Affairs. Also, Adrian Hemond, CEO of Grassroots Midwest, and Rick Pluta, Senior Capital Correspondent for the Michigan Public Radio Network. And if you are looking for even more Lansing, Michigan politics, be sure to subscribe to the It's Just Politics podcast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts from. And that is the show for today. I am Zoe Clark. Stay warm this weekend. Let's talk again next Friday. 